Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hi there. I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. From KQED Public Radio in San Francisco, I'm Mina Kim. Coming up on Forum, we take a deeper look at how San Francisco is managing the coronavirus and the city's economic recovery. Praised early on for swiftly enacting a shelter-in-place order, this week the number of coronavirus cases topped 3,000, with 47 recorded COVID-19-related deaths since the pandemic began and the toll hitting communities of color hardest. Now San Francisco wants more flexibility in determining a timetable for lifting restrictions on businesses. In this hour, we talk with city officials about how they're trying to address the city's public health and economic needs. And we take your questions. Join us. This is Forum on KQED. I'm Mina Kim. San Francisco supervisors this week approved asking the state to give the city more latitude when it comes to reopening businesses, including bars, hair salons, and allowing indoor dining. Officials say they want to gradually restart parts of the city's economy while keeping hospitals from getting overwhelmed with COVID-19 cases, and all while trying to address inequities that the pandemic has brought into stark relief. Joining us to talk about how prepared San Francisco is to take significant steps to lift restrictions are Carmen Chu. She's San Francisco Assessor Recorder and Co-Chair of the City's Economic Recovery Task Force. Thanks for joining us, Carmen Chu. Thank you very much for having me. Also with us is Joaquin Torres. He's Director of the Office of Economic and Workforce Development for the City and County of San Francisco. Joaquin Torres, thanks for being on Forum as well. Pleasure to be here with you this morning. Thank you. And also Dr. Grant, Grant Colfax is with us. He's Director of San Francisco's Department of Public Health. Grant Colfax, Colfax really appreciate having you on as well. Well, good morning, Nina. And I know you're with us just for the first half of this first half hour, so I wanted to start with you. And can you talk to us about the status of San Francisco in terms of how much virus is in the community? Yes. Yeah, so, um, so first of all, I want to say that it's uh, it's so good to be working together on a unified approach to the city's reopening um, with Assessor Carmen Chu and uh, Joaquin Torres. Um, looking forward to our ongoing work. Um, and I'm excited to talk about the indicators where we are going to be using to monitor uh, the epidemic, the indicators that we are using. I think it's important to point out that as we move forward, um, uh, there is more virus circulating in the community uh, than ever before. Um, while uh, thanks to San Franciscans' hard work in sheltering in place, the sacrifices um, that, that we have made, the wearing of face coverings, uh, the hygiene that is so important to, to uh, reduce the spread of the virus. 
um, we are ready to move into this next phase, but the risks are still very much real. Um, and we need to uh, use the data, science, and facts as, as we move forward in this um, phased reopening. Um, and as we reopen, the reality is, as we have seen in other uh, uh, communities, there will be more cases and there is likely to be more hospitalizations. The goal here is to continue to uh, keep that curve um, as low as possible such that um, we are able to, to manage uh, the virus. Um, but it's so important that everyone uh, do their part as we move forward um, and we, we need to ensure that, uh, that we're monitoring the virus very carefully because if there are early signs that our healthcare system is, is being overwhelmed, um, it is possible that we will need to pause. So if East I could just, yeah, go ahead. if I could just interrupt for a second. So you're saying that there is more virus in the community, even with all of the ways that San Francisco has tried to have uh, limit people's movement and activity, even with all the efforts that you're saying San Franciscans have been making with face coverings and things like that, that there is, that there is more virus circulating. Is it because um, of the beginning of the reopening that has happened already? Is that what you're attributing it to? Or is it other things like increased testing? Or is it that there is more virus? <laughs> well, I think it's a combination of those factors. And it's a, it's a great question. Um, the good news is, um, as we've started the reopening uh, in May, from May, in May 18th, um, we haven't seen a dramatic increase. In, in changes. So the rate has not increased uh, to the degree that uh, it, it, we were concerned about. So that really indicates that uh, so far um, we have been able to, to, to manage uh, the cases and, and, the, and the people in the hospital who are diagnosed with COVID-19. Um, and so, so as we, we move forward, the, the testing has expanded and that accounts. Um, the more we test, the more cases we are going to find. But the, the key point is, is that this virus um, is, is very contagious. Um, and uh, so we need to ensure that the face coverings, uh, the social distancing, um, it's hard to do. And, um, and, and, and we've all made sacrifices in doing that. So the real question is, how can we be safer? The safest thing to do is to continue to, to remain at home. We know that this is not sustainable or feasible for, for many people. So we have to work to achieve a balance um, of uh, mitigating the virus's spread, slowing the spread of the virus. Um, it's not about completely uh, eliminating the virus, right? We don't have techniques to do that. Um, we need to slow the spread of the virus while we reopen as we work to um, ensure that the, the healthcare system uh, does not uh, get overwhelmed. Right now you're saying it isn't overwhelmed, that hospitalizations aren't, that hospitals no. aren't being overrun, things like that. That's right. And if I could just, um, if, if you'd like, I can talk a little bit about the indicators Please. Um, we, are, we are using. Um, so the five indicators that we're monitoring uh, with regard to moving forward are hospital system capacity, uh, confirmed uh, cases, our ability to test, uh, contact tracing, which is uh, uh, interviewing uh, people who are, are test positive for the virus and then uh, get, providing them with supports and then also asking them to identify people that they've come into contact with who may also be, have become infected due to that contact. And then the personal protective equipment, the PPE, that's the, the mask, the gowns, uh, uh, the face shields that are so important to 
would protect our healthcare workers. So we posted the indicators um, on our Data SF website. Uh, but the key indicator that, that we really need to look at right now is the hospital system. Um, we want to ensure as much as possible that the hospital system doesn't get overwhelmed. So we're looking at the number of COVID uh, positive patients in the hospital, as well as our capacity across our nine hospital systems in the city uh, to take care of patients in the ICU and, and the medical beds. Uh, this is really key. Uh, the fact that we haven't been overwhelmed uh, has resulted in San Francisco saving uh, many, many lives um, compared to if you look at other systems, such as in, unfortunately, New York City, where the systems got very much overwhelmed. And then I imagine that you have a plan for determining when you'll need to pull back on reopening if you're starting to see these indicators change. That's exactly right. And uh, again, if people uh, want to dive into the details, there are lots of details um, on the website about the data indicators, but it's really that rate of increase in uh, hospitalizations that we'll be looking at because the key thing here, we know about the curve, right? So we want to keep that curve as flat as possible. A curve that has a higher rate um, goes up faster, and that would be the indicator that we would use um, to determine if we need to pause or potentially uh, reverse our reopening. We've seen in other communities, um, Imperial County, um, the curve is very steep. In fact, uh, we just uh, accepted a patient into the ICU at Zuckerberg, San Francisco General, uh, because their healthcare system is overwhelmed. Oregon uh, paused their reopening because of increased cases. We are going to be looking at these indicators very carefully. And I think we need to acknowledge there's a risk um, in this. There's a shared risk as, as we move forward. There's a shared risk and responsibility. It is plausible that the healthcare system could get overwhelmed despite our best efforts to monitor um, and do everything we can to prevent that. And before you go, Dr. Colfax, what are you doing? What is San Francisco doing to address the disproportionate number of cases in the Latinx community here in San Francisco? Yes, yeah, so um, we have been working very hard um, uh, uh, with regard to the disproportionate cases. Nearly half of cases diagnosed uh, uh, in San Francisco are among the Latinx community. This was really evident early on um, uh, per, per our uh, hospital admissions at Zuckerberg San Francisco General. We've been working with uh, the mayor's uh, Latino task force for COVID-19 uh, to expand uh, testing, to expand uh, contact tracing, uh, uh, culturally appropriate contact tracing and support services. And we know this is not just about um, testing and, and, and uh, uh, treating uh, people uh, with, with diagnosed COVID-19. This is uh, about providing the wraparound services um, and, and, and social services that people need, the housing, um, the food, um, the, the, the economic resources to support uh, the, the Latinx community um, as, as we move through this um, very serious uh, stage of the pandemic. Dr. Grant Colfax, Director of San Francisco's Department of Public Health, appreciate you being on with us. It's a real pleasure. Thank you. Let me turn now to Carmen Chu, San Francisco's assessor recorder. And, and Carmen Chu, of course, what we just heard from, from Dr. Colfax is that, you know, the economic inequities are clearly part of or driving the health outcomes that we're seeing, especially in communities of color. So you are on what's called the Economic Recovery Task Force. How are you addressing those disparities? How is the task force addressing them? Right. Well, thank you again, Mina, for having us. I think first and foremost, it'd be important to just share with the listeners a little bit about the task force. And so the task force was convened by uh, Mayor London Breed, as well as Board President Norman Yee, uh, jointly to really think about 
uh, pulling together San Franciscans from a cross section of neighborhoods, sectors, large and small companies or organizations, our local businesses to really inform and guide the city's process to economic recovery. Part of the work and part of the um, principles of the task force has really been to say, let's think about recovery in a way that truly puts equity and this idea of making sure that we are building a San Francisco that is better for the future front and center in how we do our work. And so as we think about um, the reopening process, one of the things that we, we are constantly thinking about is as we open up these different gates, what does it mean in terms of the people who are disproportionately impacted by some of the impacted sectors? And so we know, for example, that uh, COVID-19 has had an impact on uh, many of our uh, sectors like our personal services, our nail salons, hairdressers, restaurant and retails. These are all uh, uh, industries that have been disproportionately impacted. And in some instances in particular for our personal services have not yet um, been able to reopen. So we understand that there is a, a deep impact from an economic perspective also uh, for many of our communities uh, of color. The other things that we're thinking very much about is also the roles of things like childcare services and what it means for people to be able to work who don't have the option to stay home and say, I'm, I'm going to decide to um, shelter in place or, uh, or other activities. Some people don't have the ability to work remotely. And I think this is a big factor in how we're thinking about uh, the long term on the economic recovery task force. So again, we're thinking very much about equity in terms of the impacted sectors, what we can do to help alleviate uh, some of the economic impacts there or help those sectors to reopen in a safe way for everyone. In addition to that, I think uh, we're going to be pivoting as a task force also to be making sure that we're providing recommendations to the city in terms of midterm and long-term impact or policy decisions that we could be making to help build San Francisco in a more equitable way. So I think for us, uh, equity and the ability to really address some of the disparities that we see are front and center in how, how we're thinking about policy decisions and guiding reopening. But what could, what specific things or interventions could that translate into? Do you have some examples that are on the table that are specific right now? Sure. So I think, for example, we, we definitely know that we have seen some big um, impacts in service sectors, and this is disproportionately impacting people of color, right? So this, this is a deep connection with equity. Uh, we really focused on making sure that we opened our retail businesses as well as our restaurants, for example, in this last recent phase to make sure that we created flexibility. You've heard of the shared streets programs or the shared spaces programs that the city has put out there. The intent there was to really provide more flexibility from the city's perspective on the use of sidewalks and potentially the use of other spaces to allow businesses to be able to thrive and rehire and bring people back to work. Mm. I think another element in terms of reopening that's important and I I know that our uh, public health department can speak more to this is that San Francisco is really paying a lot more attention to putting out guidances that help to inform how businesses can operate in a safer way for both their employees but also for customers. This is an incredibly important part of how we do our work because you can try to open up and say you know the entire economy is open for business again but until workers feel safe until our customers feel safe coming back you're not going to see the economic recovery that we all hope to, to have. I think another element, so another piece that has been very big in terms of making sure that we're thinking about things equitably is around this area around childcare and mm -hmm. schools. Uh, 
uh, truly being able to open our public schools at some point in time, making sure that we have childcare services available for people who have to go to work is something that's been uh, a big part of the Economic Recovery Task Force's push with DPH. And I think that we've been moving very much that way. Childcare services have opened as of June. And so this is a big relief to many of our workers who are in our private economy. I think in terms of other areas where we really want to make sure that we're focusing in terms of how it is that we're going to be building things that are going to be more equitable, you know, one of the things that we care a lot also is that we know that COVID-19 is still with us. Uh, even though San Franciscans have been very successful in terms of flattening the curve, that doesn't mean that we have a vaccine for the virus or even yet a pervasive treatment that's available for uh, COVID-19. And that being the case, we need to make sure that in the interim, we're building an economy that is going to be resilient. And so what does that mean? It means creating workspace environments that allow for workers to be able to take time off, to have wage replacement, uh, for example, that where they are able to actually quarantine and take care of themselves rather than having to go to work and then potentially um, spreading COVID-19 further. We have to make sure that we're going to be flexible and work with businesses um, to identify uh, individuals who are, or uh, cases where uh, there have been spread and to really try to mitigate that as much as we can also. So I think in terms of how it is that we're thinking about equity, Clearly, we need to make sure that we're paying attention to those sectors that are uh, predominantly impacting uh, people of color, but also making sure that we're watching for how they reopen, making sure that we put safeguards in place, guidelines in place that really help to protect them and to protect the customers, I think, but also making sure that as we think about long-term and midterm policies, we're also thinking about how do we help keep those communities safe? Again, wage replacement, making sure that people have the ability to quarantine and take care of themselves and their families when the time comes if they are infected with COVID-19. Well, let me invite our listeners to join the conversation. We're talking about how cities and counties are managing their reopening plans or lifting restrictions on different businesses in their areas with a particular spotlight on how San Francisco is handling it. We're talking with Carmen Chu, San Francisco Assessor Recorder and Co-Chair of the City's Economic Recovery Task Force. And also with us is Joaquin Torres, Director of San Francisco's Office of Economic and Workforce Development. What are your questions for how local officials, how elected officials are handling the balance of the economic needs of a community with its health needs amid this pandemic and the inequities that they are seeing as a result of this pandemic. Call us 866-733-6786 is the number, 866-733-6786. You can also reach us on Twitter and Facebook at KQED Forum or email your questions to forum at kqed.org. And Joaquin Torres, I know that you've been doing a lot of work on the ground already, especially in San Francisco's Bayview community, for example. Can you, can you give us some examples about what the city is doing for those communities, for their economic recovery? Joaquin Torres? My apologies. I, I think I was on mute there. Oh, no um, <laughs> I think that's the, um, the common response that everyone has uh, during <laughs> these past few months. Sorry, I was on mute. Um, we've been very much hard at work and working in close coordination with the Department of Public Health, with Dr. Colfax, Dr. Tomas Aragon, and of course, with the Economic Recovery Task Force in partnership with uh, Assessor Recorder Carmen Chu, who just has been uh, amazing in strategizing and organizing our relief uh, and recovery efforts. Um, uh, essentially, we started off this process um, wanting to leverage the uh, philanthropic donations that we could bring to bear um, with support from the community. Uh, to date, we've been able to raise about $28.28 .28 million 
uh, to support three areas, um, uh, essentially housing stabilization, food security, uh, which has been extremely important in our communities of color, in the Bayview and the Mission uh, and, other, and, and other neighborhoods in Chinatown. Um, uh, and then, of course, uh, working with immigrant workers and family relief uh, that Assessor Recorder Chu just spoke about. And then finally, small businesses uh, that are the heart and soul of San Francisco, heart and soul of our neighborhoods. We just announced today, today is Juneteenth, um, we, we just announced today uh, the first uh, African-American revolving loan fund uh, of $1.5 million that complements uh, the additional loan programs that we've already launched uh, to support our communities uh, citywide. That's in addition to um, uh, the grant dollars that we've created, many grants in specific neighborhoods, uh, individual grants uh, across San Francisco. Uh, as many of you remember, we first announced uh, the initial awards in, uh, in Chinatown uh, before the shelter in place uh, took place um, because already Chinatown here in San Francisco, up and down California across the nation, uh, were facing significant economic impacts due to xenophobia, discrimination based on unfounded beliefs of the origins uh, of, um, of COVID-19. 50% uh, of those awards, um, uh, we're very uh, grateful to say, have supported Chinatown businesses during that time. But we knew we had to do more, um, which is why we decided to change some of the, um, the designs of this program to make sure we had neighborhood equity, community equity, industry equity, uh, mm -hmm. and specifically with an eye towards those businesses that would be opening up in later phases. Um, uh, those ones that were looking, that are very much looking forward to their next steps, uh, your hair salons, your barbershops. Um, uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. And how can people access this new loan fund? Certainly. So they can come and visit our website, uh, oewd.org, um, and just click on COVID-19. Again, that's OEWD. Dot org and click on COVID-19. And what are you um, anticipating? Find... Yes, sorry, go ahead. No, um, uh, we're, we, we are uh, seeing this program as complementing what we've uh, already been providing citywide, and then also with our additional partners, Main Street Launch, uh, who will be administering this program as well, as well as uh, Mission Economic Development Agency, which has supported our, um, our other loan program uh, that also supports individual taxpayer identification number holders, which is a resource for the undocumented entrepreneurship population here in the city. Do you anticipate or do you have a sense of what the average size of the loan would be for businesses? C certainly. Uh, uh, so these are zero interest loans, um, very flexible terms, forgivable options, um, uh, up to $50,000 per business. Um, so we found that on average to date, uh, we're seeing about $28,000 to $30,000 is what a business is typically uh, taking out so far. Well, let me go to Hayes in San Francisco, who's joining us. Hi, Hayes. Hello, good morning, everybody. Um, slightly off topic, but um, I've been thinking it might be an idea if the MTA opened up the unused bus stops due to core service. There's a whole bunch of bus stops which are not in use. They could open them up for where applicable for restaurants to be able to set up um, tables there and in other places to allow people to park because a lot of people are forced to drive because the buses are restricted. And I've contacted MTA, didn't get a response, but I just want to put that out there. Well, Hayes, thanks. Uh, we have 90 seconds before the break, but Carmen Chu, you were talking about trying to make it more possible for people to do business on sidewalks, outdoors. Do you have any reaction to Hayes' suggestion? 
Absolutely. So I think that that was the intention of the shared spaces is to really create more space available. So not only the sidewalk spaces, but potentially some of the curbside spaces that are available as well. I think the challenge with uh, utilizing or opening up all of those spaces that have been currently used for bus stops is that we do need to still continue to run our bus services. And so we need to make sure that we're still transporting people to and from where they need to go. You know, the, the big challenge that we're going to see is that we need to make sure we continue to support public transportation. They can do it in a safer way, continuing to provide social distancing and so on, and making sure that there's ventilation in the buses and so on. But again, I think the one challenge that I would say is that we want to make the spaces available, but we still need to get people to and from where they need to go through public transportation. We're looking at how San Francisco is preparing to make some significant uh, lists of restrictions that the city has had in place because of the coronavirus pandemic. And uh, we'll have more after the break. Stay with us, listeners. We'll take your questions and comments. I'm Nina Kim. This is Forum. This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. As San Francisco takes major steps to ease restrictions, we're talking with city leaders about how the city is going to manage disease spread, strain on the healthcare system, and its inequities, longstanding inequities, as it tries to recover economically. We're joined by Carmen Chu, San Francisco's assessor, recorder, and co-chair of the city's Economic Recovery Task Force. Also, Joaquin Torres is with us, director of San Francisco's Office of Economic and Workforce Development. And joining us now as well is Tomas Aragon. He's health officer of the city and county of San Francisco. Thanks for joining us, Dr. Aragon. Um, good morning. And thanks to our listeners as well for joining the conversation. If you have questions, give us a call. 866-733-6786 is the number. Again, 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum or email your questions to forum at kqed.org. And Tomas Aragon, I'll go straight to you because we are getting quite a few health-related questions. Of course, uh, the governor put out his mask requirement yesterday. And Holly asks, please have your guests clarify what the mask requirements are. Since San Francisco introduced the 30-foot rule, I've noticed that people have gotten very lax. Dr. Aragon? Um, yeah, so the the basic idea is that when you when you're outside your home, and you're going to be interacting with people who are not part of your household, you should really have a, a face covering on. Um, and if you're not close to anybody, if you're, you know, walking in the morning you're, or you're going out for a run and you're not near anyone, you do not have to have a face covering on. However, because of our sidewalks and our paths, when we know we, we come, we cross people all the time. This idea of the 30-foot rule is that as you as you approach somebody, just to give you a little bit of time to go ahead and slip on the mask, so that you have it on when you get close to, when you get to close to that person on a on a narrow sidewalk or path when you're running, and uh, the 30, 30 foot is also 10 yards, and so most people are familiar with football or soccer. The idea is is that if you're approaching somebody, it gives you a few seconds to go ahead put it on, so that you're covered when you're when you're passing by that person. Other than that, what we really want people to think about is uh, the face covering to really contain your droplets and aerosols that come out of your mouth whenever you talk, um, uh, whenever you're speaking, coughing, sneezing, um, and also to maintain physical distancing. And there, the physical distancing, we really talk about uh, six feet. Well, let me go next to Carol in San Francisco. Hi, Carol. 
Hi, um, I'm a small business owner, and I am witnessing um, the demise and um, disappearance of many of my friends who are also small business owners who are per choosing to permanently close rather than trying to figure out how to get loans or stay in business. So my question for the city is how are they thinking of helping new business owners come into these vacant storefronts or open in the city, which has been notoriously difficult to um, deal with when trying to open a new business? Carol, thanks. Carmen Chu. Thank you, Carol, for that question. I think this is something that we're very, very concerned about. I think there were many, many businesses who closed temporarily, and some of them, uh, frankly, are just not going to be coming back. And I think what we're seeing across the city is that there's going to be empty storefronts in many of our uh, neighborhood local areas, but also we're going to see them in downtown and other places as well. And so I think some of the things that we, we are working on is to make sure that we're, number one, opening up the economy in a measured way that builds confidence in people's ability to, to engage in the economy. So I think Again, as I mentioned, if we just opened up and did not put good guidances in place and did not think of it in terms of a, a measured approach, I think what you'll have is lack of confidence in engaging in the activities that uh, we all enjoy, shopping, eating, all of those things. And so we really want to make sure that we're doing it in a good way, working hand in hand with our public health department to make sure that's working. On top of that, the Economic Recovery Task Force is right now engaging in a series of conversations to really pull together recommendations and policy ideas for the city to consider. And they would be things like, are there ways for us to ease permitting? Are there ways for us to streamline and to make um, easier the ability for businesses to open? Can we cut red tape in certain areas to make sure that we um, help to bring back businesses as best we can? Hmm. I know that Joaquin has a lot of thinking around this as well. So I, of course, want to invite him to, to add to that. Yes, and, and Joaquin, add to that. And also, if you could address Carlos's question, which is related. Carlos writes, when the health department regulates businesses in a way that makes it difficult to break even, is it fair for those businesses to be on the hook for rent? So he's also wondering about rent relief. Well, certainly, and I, I very much appreciate the question. And uh, you know, the the issues facing small businesses, um, uh, irrespective of where we are in this moment, was something that was of uh, deep importance to Mayor Breed, um, who is actively working with members of the Board of Supervisors on streamlining efforts uh, that have now found them found their way to the ballot um, for later on this November to ensure that the process of getting up and running quicker, faster, with less cost, reducing timelines and complications, uh, is something that's actively going to be addressed this November. Um, so please be on the, the lookout for that. Um, as it relates to um, relief around rent, I mean, that is one of the components here, um, specifically uh, allowed by the grants and loans that we're making available to help meet some of those immediate efforts. And so that is one of the ways that we're looking at doing that. But, but I also want to um, uh, drive home a bit the point of, yes, the importance, of course, attracting new businesses that will need to uh, come into San Francisco and making their experience better. Um, but also making sure that we're paying attention to those longtime businesses who have consistently contributed to the vibrancy and culture of San Francisco uh, and ensuring that we are there to support them as well. And so it really is a comprehensive approach that we have to take, that we are taking, and we're looking forward to continuing that work uh, as we move through this process together. Well, are there grants and loans available to people like Carlos? Yes. Um, so if uh, again, if you could visit oewd.org. Um, uh, OEWD.org, click on COVID-19, and he can reach out to us and our staff, and we can let him know what's available, if not directly, um, uh, and if he has not already um, accessed some of those resources or applied for some of those resources, we can help uh, direct him to where they may be available.
Uh, Tomas Aragon, here's a question. Uh, I have not gotten an answer yet from SF Health on how many healthcare workers in the city have tested positive for COVID-19 and how many have died from it here. Do you have those numbers, Dr. Aragon? Um, that's a, a very good question. I Right now, I do not have the number of uh, healthcare workers for San Francisco. I know the state does keep track of the total number. And to the best of my knowledge, um, no healthcare worker has died. But that's something that I, I can follow up on and make make sure we have that information available. Well, let me go next to Guy in San Francisco. Hi, Guy. Join us. I'm sorry. I think it's Kelly in Oakland. Hi, Kelly. Hi. Um, I represent, I work for an organization that represents the hotel industry, and I really appreciate all the work that's been Carmen and Joaquin and Dr. Aragon. Um, but sometimes we're forgotten as an industry. We hear a lot about small business, retail, salons, restaurants. Uh, but the hotel industry stepped up and helped the city immediately and answered the mayor's call for rooms for first responders and for vulnerable populations. And now um, during uh, three months that we've had to literally lay off so many employees that are very diverse, racially diverse employees, hardworking employees that want to come back to work. We, you know, we're proactive in creating and, and we actually did our first webinar yesterday to train the hotel industry workers and representatives on for safety provided by the CDC guidance and, and others resources. And I just wanted to advocate and see when our hotels could start bringing back our employees and slowly uh, opening up again. We know it's going to be a very long road, but we'd like the opportunity to open up hopefully before August 15th safely, carefully, and um, just wanted to know if you had any comments on that. Thank Kelly, you. Kelly, thanks. Carmen Chu, what can you tell Kelly? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I really appreciate Kelly's telephone call uh, to, to us because we've been hearing from uh, different sectors and we know uh, hotel workers and our hotels have been hard hit. I think for in San Francisco in particular, we're, we're a place that people love to come visit and to enjoy both our culture, our arts and, and all that San Francisco has to offer. And so when COVID-19 hit, it was a sector that was particularly hard hit. We saw pretty dramatic um, reductions in terms of rooms almost immediately and pretty significant challenges to employment also. And so I think this is a sector that we definitely are looking at. A few things, I know that our public health department have been working with us to really try to make sure that we're allowing activities to happen alongside for hotels so, so that hotels are able to accommodate um, uh, people who need the spaces as we open up the economy. That's something that was important to us to make sure that we continue to gradually also increase the capacity of our uh, hotels to be able to do that. But I think the other thing um, that I wanted to share with Kelly is that in terms of our economic task force work, we also created a very special sub policy group to really talk about uh, hospitality in particular. And so there is a group that we formed uh, called Arts, Culture, Hospitality and Entertainment because San Francisco recognizes how important our hospitality sector is, and we want to make sure that even if we anticipate that we're going to see a, a comeback and return over a period of time, we want to make sure that we're figuring out policy ideas to help support that industry and those sectors, because it's a very, it's an important and vital part of our economy. And I think we recognize it and we absolutely recognize how hard hit um, people like you and, and your colleagues and, and um, our coworkers have been uh, facing. So thank you again, Kelly, for that call. Kelly said August 15th was her hope. Is that timeline realistic? 
a possibility? Uh, right now, I think we are, uh, as, as many folks know, San Francisco is currently in the process of applying for a variance at the state. The Board of Supervisors just recently uh, approved, approved the city's application. That's a very important process um, or step in, in the direction to try to open up our economy. And part of the reason is that so far, San Francisco has opened up all of the sectors that we are able to, short of being a variance county, with the approval and the ability to go to the state now, uh, once we have the state's approval and have that designation, we're going to be able to open up yet another tier of, of uh, activities potentially, which would include potentially more businesses and potentially more hospitality as well. Well, interestingly, and maybe this is for you, Thomas Aragon, but uh, Leslie writes, Alameda County is looking at further reopening, yet as far as I understand, we're still in the growing first wave. All over the country, we seem to be opening, even though the virus isn't going down. What's the logic here? And I mean, I think this is a central question, right, that you grapple with. Why are we reopening when clearly, as Dr. Colfax at the top of the show was saying, that the, you know, the virus is growing, the number of cases is growing? Um, and and that, that's actually, that's a very good question. And I think the way that I think about it from a holistic public health perspective is that the, the you know, the shelter, the shelter in place has, has many impacts. One obvious impact was the transmission of the virus. And in that, in that aspect, we, we, San Francisco has done very well, but it also has a lot of other, a lot of other impacts, not just the economic impacts, but when we close when we, we closed a lot of healthcare services, people were not getting primary care, kids were not getting their vaccinations. It had all these other health impacts that we, we also have to pay attention to. So we really are trying to um, balance the, balance the trade-offs and move, fo move forward in a way that's, that's really safe. One thing I do wanna point out is, so San Francisco, we've been, we've been very fortunate. We've been working with uh, special statisticians and mathematical modelers at UC Berkeley to really help us understand the course of our epidemic in San Francisco. And what we know right, right now is that what we call our effective reproductive number, how many secondary cases an infectious case produces, currently is below one, so it's about uh, 0.84, which is, really, which is really good, which means that when you're below one, we have this negative feedback loop and that means as we spread out opening up, um, we're, we have a little bit more room to, 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 to make errors. And so right now, as Dr. Colfax mentioned in the very beginning, even in spite of everything that we've opened up, we actually have not had an increase in the hospitalization cases. And we think that's because our effective reproductive number is less than one. The challenge is, is that if it tips up to above one, we get into a positive feedback loop where things can really escalate and accelerate and move very fast, where we can all of a sudden get out of control and have a lot of hospitalizations. So those are the things that we're 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 trying to, we're trying to balance, and you know we want to move forward safely. And the other thing, I, last thing I do I want to mention is that we know so much more about the virus now than we knew even a few weeks ago. So the role that persons who are asymptomatic the efficacy of wearing face coverings, all these things are giving us additional tools that we can go to so that we can get outside our homes, go shopping, do the types of things that we need to do, but, do, but, but in a way that will not transmit the virus. I think we're in, we're in a different, we have more tools available to us. So if everybody 
pays attention to those, I think we'll be in a better place. And Mina, if I can add also, I think Tomas spoke about the health indicators and how those are really going to be helpful for us to make sure that we are um, watching for things that are, that helps to inform whether we open and move to the next gate. But I think two other things that are really important for the listeners to, to know in terms of how San Francisco is approaching it and why we're building in safeguards is that it matters to us about the health outcome coming, working hand in hand with the economy. So two things that are important is that very different from other counties. San Francisco is putting a lot of effort into putting good guidance in place so that businesses know and have direction about how it is that they can operate and open so that their workers and our customers are safe. I think that's something that's different in San Francisco compared to other places. The other piece is that San Francisco intentionally is moving forward in intervals. So rather than opening every single thing up at the same time, we're very um, measured about making sure that we're opening things up bit by bit. And the intent there is to make sure that we're measuring as we go what that spread looks like so that we're careful and that we're able to manage any potential surges or be able to adjust uh, quickly when we do see changes in our health outcome. Thank you, Carmen Chu. And let me go to listener Guy in San San Francisco. Hi, Guy. Hi, everyone. I have a question about um, San Francisco requiring um, having a face covering in public um, when I go out, I still see a lot of people who are not um, covering their their face. Um, so, uh, what is San Francisco doing to uh, enforce that rule? Thank you, uh, Dr. Aragon. I mean, you were talking about how you're learning so much more about the role of asymptomatic carriers. I mean, enforcement of the mask rule. Right, and and I think and I I think the general approach that San Francisco has taken um, has really been primarily by um, educa- education, and I think where you'll see enforcement happen is primarily the, the greatest risk is when we're cl- really close. You have to think of outside versus inside, and the highest risk is when you're inside. Um, you're close to people for prolonged periods of time. And I think that's what one of the reasons when we first came out with our face covering order, we required um, people to wear face coverings inside, inside stores when they're out uh, going to shopping, going into a healthcare facility. And so it's really important for the establishments to make sure that they, inf- they, they enforce it locally to make sure that people do not come inside if they're not wearing face coverings. That's where the, really the biggest risk is. When people are outdoors, the risk does, does go down. We still want them to wear it when they're really close to people. Um, and, and I know it's, it's really hard when some people are not, are not wearing it. Um, and and, and it, it is a real challenge. It, re- it re- is a real challenge to enforce. We know from the science is that we're trying to get the highest percentage, and we know that when we're getting above 80%, that it's going to have a big population health impact. And um, and hopefully, as the as the social norm continues to change, especially now with the state coming out with the mandate, and the whole region, the whole state it becomes hopefully it will become the norm. That, that that percentage of people that are not wearing it, that they get the message and that that shrinks over time. Just to build on that, Mina, this well, is Joaquin, it really is, it really does take a community effort. And I want to thank all those small businesses who've taken on um, uh, the responsibility of saying to someone, no, you can't come in without a face mask. Um, it's not always easy, but I've seen them do it in person and it is very effective. Um, I also want to thank the incredible work that the Human Rights Commission has done in partnership with the Emergency Operations Center and handing out face coverings in some of our most vulnerable communities and all the community partners that have gone above and beyond to procure 
uh, and access face masks so they could contribute them in their communities as well. It's organizations in neighborhoods that are making a lot of this work possible and making it happen. So a real, a real shout out to all of them. Well, Michael tweets, Joaquin, how can San Francisco's senior residents get the medical grade masks that the World Health Organization recommends? Is there a Great. Resource so for I that? think, I, yes, I think they should call 311 um, uh, and ask the question there, and our uh, teams at the EOC uh, can reach out to them to make sure that they have access uh, to those supplies. Dr. Oregon, Melissa asks, I work for one of San Francisco's major arts organizations. I'm wondering if you could tell me how you think it's safer to open museums and restaurants than to have concert halls open with seats taken out for social distancing and audience members wearing masks. I'm sorry, can you repeat that question? Melissa's wondering if you could tell Melissa how you think it's Mm -hmm. safer to open museums and restaurants than concert halls with seats taken out for social distancing and audience members wearing masks. Yeah, so one thing to re- to realize is that so um the way that we the way that we're doing the reopening is that we we start off with what the state has put out as to what is lower risk versus higher risk and we know clearly that um theaters being being indoors for prolonged periods of time is absolutely a higher risk. So we know that. In contrast to in um a space where people are walking through, for example, if you're if you're if you're walking through either a, a museum or going into a shop to pick up your medicine, um, that that's really uh, a limited a limited amount of time. So we really we really focus on those things. What how how close are people? What is the duration? And then what is the the ventilation? And so when you take all those those factors into account, you'll see things like indoor indoor gatherings, especially in in theaters. Are the things that are are down the road, and hopefully over time we will figure out how to do that safely. We know that there are other countries that are figuring out how to do that type that that type of activity safely. Um, so we're spreading it out, starting with the lowest risk, moving to the highest risk, and for the higher risk things, we'll start small. We'll figure out how to do it. We'll see what the state allows us to do. And hopefully we'll be able to, if the community, if the total community risk, the prevalence of active infections is really low, which is what we really want, it makes it easier for us to manage the risk. It will never be, we're, until a vaccine is available, we're, we're really about managing, we're really, it's really about managing risk. And, and I think over time we'll, we'll have more tools available to us, especially as testing becomes more prevalent, um, we'll, people will be able to know their status and that will really help push down the prevalence of active infections. Well, this listener writes, why do you think there hasn't been a spike in cases or hospitalizations after the street protests? Uh, um, so that, that's a really good question. And so I'll, 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 let me see if I can explain it to you. So, um, so take, so the, the street, pro, if you looked at the street protests, not, there was, not everybody was social distancing and not everybody was wearing uh, face coverings. So that's, in a sense, that's a high-risk activity. But, that, but the, 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 that, that high-risk activity depends on what is the prevalence of active infection in the community. So if the prevalence is really, really low, even a high-risk activity will not result in a lot of cases. Does that, does that make sense? And so something, and, and so for example, a high-risk activity, um, uh, at a time where the prevalence was higher would, would, would result in more cases. And that's what I mean, that's what I mean by the, 
effective reproductive number being below one mm -hmm. and having this negative feedback loop and pushing down that prevalence of active infection, it means that we can do, over time, we can do more riskier things. It allows us to manage that risk because we know the prevalence is, is lower. And that's one of the reasons why we spread things out. We ask people to be patient. One of the things that uh, questions I get, well, why can't I open up? I can do it safely. And yes, but that we have we have to spread things out so that we don't get ourselves in trouble. If we get things low and safer, that's what's going to give us the confidence to move forward, and that's what's really going to help the economy. Well, Susan has a little pushback on the sidewalks idea, Carmen Chu or Joaquin Torres. Susan writes, in theory, opening the sidewalks is a good way to enable restaurants to get back to business. The practice seems more difficult. I live in North Beach, where many restaurants have filled the sidewalks with tables, often not six feet apart. Groups of people are also standing around waiting for tables, and many of them are not wearing masks. When I walk down the sidewalk, I'm actually forced into a situation that is more crowded and less protected than before. Any response to Susan? Sure. Um, uh, I, I think Joaquin that's, um, yeah, sorry, this is Joaquin. I, I think this is part of the process, right? I mean, we, we started this program with a sense of trust uh, and, and wanting to make sure that, um, and wanting to make sure that people could access um, uh, these restaurants as they, as they struggled to reopen. Um, and I, so I think it's an iteration. It's a work in progress right now. Um, I think we want to give it some time to, to have it worked out. Also, at the same time, that's why some of the conversations with community around shared spaces and potentially closing off streets um, uh, is something that's also useful to consider so that we can ameliorate some of that congestion that people might be concerned about. Yeah, and I think, Minna, also, uh, we have, we've seen, we've heard from thousands of people through the task force. We've convened over 40 meetings in terms of reaching out to business owners as well as others in the city uh, on reopening. And one of the things that we've heard loud and clear is the desire for the city to be more flexible in terms of space and uh, regulation. And also, not only that, but helping to, to remove some of the barriers, traditional barriers and red tape that, that they've experienced in the past. And so the shared spaces program, I, I hear what the listener is saying. I don't think that the shared spaces program is going to be appropriate for every place. But it is an additional tool for businesses who, ha who do have the ability to open up space to be able to take advantage of that so that they're actually able to open up and provide more um, activity. You know, I think some of the things that we just know is that with COVID-19, there's going to be many more uh, requirements to keep public health in a safer place. And that's going to include things like social distancing and so on. The truth of it is, is that if you take away uh, some of the spaces that would be required for restaurants, for example, or retail, it ends up being a very untenable economic situation for people. And so part of the safe or the shared uh, spaces program is really to try to provide flexibility, though we do know that it's not going to be the right solution for every place. And so I think as Joaquin mentioned, we're going to learn more. We wanted to move fast to provide something for, for businesses to be able to, to uh, bounce back. But at the same time, we know that we're going to take a look at it, see how it's working, and then amend it as we need to. Well, let me see if I can get Ben in here. Ben in Berkeley, join us. Hi, Ben. Hi, how are you doing? Great. Go right ahead. Yeah, I just wanted I'm an emergency physician, and uh, I myself was ignorant for a long time of the fact that masks with vents in them do not serve the purpose of protecting people around you. They allow your uh, exhalations to infect other people, and mm. this seems to be uh, area many people are ignorant of. I've seen a lot of other healthcare workers wearing these masks, paramedics, and certainly lots of the public. This needs to be emphasized more in the education of the public that vents are not 
uh, effective. Ben, thanks. Uh, Dr. Aragon, is there an effort to explicitly communicate this? Uh, yes, there is. So in our very first order, we are, we prohibit, we tell people do not use those um, those masks that have one-way one way valves that allow your droplets and secretions to come out. And so, we, yeah, we, we did that in our first order and we do, part of our public health campaign does include that. And there's now been a lot of articles in the popular press specifically about, about this topic. Well, Dr. Aragon, we only have 30 seconds or so left. And I just want to ask you, as San Francisco prepares to do this phased reopening plan and make some, some significant changes in terms of restarting parts of the economy, what is your promise to San Francisco residents? So really, I, I, you know, the way that, you know, our, our vision is to make San Francisco the healthiest place to live and visit. That's really, that's what I'm incredibly focused on. Make San Francisco the, the safest city to uh, uh, visit and, and, and live in. And what I want, we want everybody to remember the way that we're going to do this together is to do four things. Just four, if you focus on these four, um, we're going to do this. One is please wear your face covering, physical distancing, hand washing, and if you have any symptoms, get tested. It's free in San Francisco. Dr. Tomas Aragon, Carmen Chu, Joaquin Torres, thanks to all of you for joining us, and thanks to our listeners for their questions and comments. Tina Lauerberg produced this segment. I'm Mina Kim. Have a great weekend. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio and the Germanicos Foundation and the Generosity Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.